This is an ABC podcast. What worries me the most is failure. I have high expectations of myself and I'm scared I'm going to disappoint people. What worries me the most is boys. They're always on my mind and they take up all my mind space and it leaves me no space to um, focus on important things. I'm not very good with worry. I worry a lot about little things. But, yeah, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to go well in school. What worries me the most is my studies and it worries me because if I fail, I think that I'll fail at life and I react to this worry by studying a lot. Ever since I stepped into high school classrooms over 40 years ago, I have a special love for our vulnerable teens. Life can get pretty challenging as they undergo those huge changes from 12 until their 20s. And yep, it's tough on us parents too. It can feel like your lovely child has suddenly been stolen and replaced by an alien. I'm Maggie Dent and in this episode of Parental As Anything, I want us all to give our teens a break. Can we please start by getting a better understanding of exactly what is going on for them? And then let's learn the best ways to show them that they don't have to deal with it all on their own. I want to be honest, my own teen years were tough. I struggled with self-loathing and low self-esteem and self-hatred and I made some really poor choices and one that saw me crash a car on a farm while racing with a couple of my boy mates. (laughs) Now that's not all bad. Teens can be incredibly caring and committed to things they believe in and they can be really, really creative at times. And in many ways, this window is actually the best time to tap into a person's potential. Someone I know who is extremely passionate about supporting teens is Danny O'Mella, the CEO of Enlightened Education. So, Danny, you're a bit like me. We like teens, but what do you most like about teenagers? Oh, there's so much about teenagers that I find joyful, but I find them particularly funny. Sometimes they're laughing with me, sometimes at me, but either way, I do really appreciate their perspective on the world because often it's refreshing and it's sometimes challenging too. And I love that. I think I love a little bit is the unfiltered, you know, there's no filters, you know, you really want to know how it is. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) So brain changes are a really big challenge in the early stage, particularly of adolescence, increased forgetfulness, more disorganisation. And for many boys, the monosyllabic mumbling and grunting. And now no teen wants these things to happen. They didn't Mm. ask for them to happen. However, any change, as you just suggested creates stress, that can be problematic. So how can we support them in coping with all these changes in a positive and constructive way? Yeah, I think the first thing is to recognise, as you pointed out, Maggie, that this is very normal uh, and in fact is healthy. It's part of them developing their own sense of identity and autonomy. And one of the things that I find... um, 
really interesting is when I talk to parents, you know, they'll say things to me like, you know, my teenage girl is just so difficult and she doesn't want to connect with me anymore and she's so surly and grumpy and withdrawn. And then I'll pause and I'll say to them, what were you like as an adolescent? (laughs) And then they'll say, oh, I was shocking. You know, I gave my parents such a terrible time. And I'll say, and yet here you are and you seem really (laughs) lovely and functional and healthy and uh, do you think it's possible that this too might pass? Mm. There is also this need to remain open because I think the thing with teenagers is that that moving away isn't always in one direction. They move away and then they move towards, move away and move towards and they actually love knowing that you will be there with open arms when they need you. Um, I still give both my... um, kids a kiss goodnight. My daughter's 20 and my son's almost 18. And there was a stage probably when my daughter was about 17, when she really complained about that process, you know, when I'd go into her room at night to kiss her, she said, oh my gosh, you know, here you are again. And you're such a stalker. And she'd sort of had this playful, you know, tease with me. And one night I was feeling particularly vulnerable and I thought, you know what, stuff it. If she doesn't want me to give her a kiss goodnight, I won't. So I just sort of walked past her room and yelled out, goodnight tea. And then she yelled out, oh, aren't you going to kiss me goodnight anymore? You know, and she felt quite hurt by that. So it's interesting that sometimes Times when they put on this front that they don't want all of our love and affection anymore, for them it's almost playful banter um, and it's a little bit of a way of, of trying to flex their independent muscles, yet they still do want you to perform that really nurturing role. And with my son, who's almost 18, he went through definitely a stage where he barely spoke to me. And when he did, it was so grumpy. Um, And I felt like this scorned lover because we had been so close when Mm. he was little. But I did remain constant and I did remain almost relentless in my love and in my willingness to be there for him. And I'm so pleased that he's slowly coming back. Uh, And I think if I had pulled away as he pulled away, then we wouldn't have the beautiful new bond that we're starting to form together now. As our teens become more grown up and independent, what do we need to change in the way we parent them compared to when they were younger? And this is a really big shift because we do, don't we? Yeah, we do. And I think it's a hard one for some parents because... I think often the dialogue around parenting late adolescence still very much focuses on control and rules. And although we know um, boundaries are really important, I think it's a bit of a loser mission to try and micromanage an emerging adult. And I really do think that we need to focus more on building mutual respect um, and also allowing them to occasionally make mistakes and being there to support them to know how to pick up the pieces afterwards. It's confronting. Oh, because Danny, I'm going to say, how do you respect that teen who's just slammed the door in your face and called you some serious names? Yeah. And I think that's really, there's lots of parents who feel, my gosh, they're being intentionally disrespectful right now, where in actual fact, you know, it's a bit like the toddler throwing the tantrum at times. Where's the safest place in my world to discharge some of the aggro I've got in my world and the big ugly feelings I've got? Yeah, 100%. So, I always find with teens it's a really good time to talk to them when you get them moving. So either go for a walk with the dog with them and you can chat then or if 
great once they learn to drive because I find it's really good to talk to them um, when they're driving because they're a captive audience and and when they're learning to drive, they're not listening to radios usually or anything else. So you can have a good chat and they'll tend to unpack then. I got another tip to throw in there. If you want to know what's really happening in your teens world, pick them up and their friends up and drive the long way home because they kind of forget you're in the car. Yes. And before you know it, you've got this great download of everything that's going on. Please don't react because they've actually forgotten you're driving the car. Oh my goodness, I got all my best secrets from that particular strategy. Whew. And I love I love too the idea of having their friends over yeah. for that reason too and being that house where they do want to all go to watch movies and to hang out. Um, and there was times when, you know, my son was, to me at least, seemed so sort of surly and, and sad that I was quite concerned. And then I'd see him with his friends and he was really animated and friendly and lovely. And I think, oh, well, I mean, he can't, he can't be that much to worry about then. I wish my parents understood that I don't want to tell them everything. I wish my parents understood that technology isn't as bad as they think it is. Social pressure is just as intense as kind of uh, academic pressure, like especially with social media and the fact that you can contact someone within like seconds. It's the pressure like of your social life is just as strong and that's what my parents don't seem to understand. The adults in my life don't understand that when I do something wrong, taking stuff away from me that I love is going to make me rebel more, not behave. Our teens have to learn a lot about relationships in amongst all the chaos. How do we model as parents good relationships for them? I think we've got to keep in mind that our kids can't be what they can't see. And we can do lots of talking about, you know, how important it is to be kind and not to bully. But if they see us sledging characters on reality TV shows when we're watching TV together, or if they see us engaging in gossip on the phone when we're talking about a relative, then that really sets a very negative tone. And they will notice that and they will pick up on that and they'll reflect that back in their own interactions. So there's a bit of a challenge there for us. And I think it's really important to to acknowledge to our young people that conflict is actually normal. Um, it is quite normal and, in fact, quite healthy to have disagreements with people in your life that you're close to. It's how you manage that that's key. And one of the things I love to do with adolescents is explicitly teach them, here are the 10 steps for how you resolve conflict with someone. Because it's interesting that in our culture we never see conflict handled respectfully because it doesn't make for good drama. You know, you're not going to watch Married at First Sight and see them sit down and have a really respectful mutual (laughs) dialogue about why they feel hurt with each other. You're going to to see lots of slam doors and raised voices and because that makes for entertaining TV. And then so that normalises it, which is I totally normalises it. Yeah, <laughs> so we need to explicitly teach, not just assume they'll know. So modelling is one thing, but explicitly teaching is also a really important part of that. An important part of adolescence is the awakening of the instinctual drive to form loving, intimate relationships. No matter what parents want, it's going to happen. So how do we help teens... Do this, Danny. Almost 75% of teens say they think they've had their first romantic relationship by the age of 14. (gasps) This does not necessarily mean it's been a sexual relationship, but they feel they've been in a romantic relationship. Now, of that cohort, 
25% say that their parents would have no idea because they think they would be in trouble if their parents knew this. So they are actually trying to manage really complex new dynamics with no adult support. And Maggie, the truth is that these relationships are not trivial. They're not puppy love. All of the research shows that adolescent romantic relationships are foundational. So what they learn about boundaries, about respect, affection when they are young will help dictate what they expect in their own adult relationships later on. And the lessons that they learn there, well, the lessons that if they don't learn lessons when they're teenagers, they'll repeat those same mistakes and those same patterns. I also, as you know, Maggie, have done a lot of work in the um, field of domestic violence. And this might shock listeners, but actually teenage girls between 14 and 19 are four times more likely to experience physical or sexual violence than older women. It's telling that the first young woman, and she was a young woman, um, who the police brought to the refuge that I helped found in my local area, the sanctuary, was just 17 years old. Um, And she and her newborn baby um, had been attacked by her partner and the police brought her to us for her safety and to receive support. So we need to take adolescent relationships seriously. We need to move beyond the sort of funny jibes about, oh, look at you, you're in love. And um, and we need to give them better skills at knowing what healthy relationships look like, what are the dating red flags, how to deal with heartbreak. It's a whole new world and we can't afford to ignore it. And I think we have to put some some sort of a, um, a blame out there around the free access of pornography, which is giving the same mixed messages around sex rather than intimacy for both our girls and our boys. Yeah. What we actually really do have to talk about these things much earlier than when they get into puberty. Yeah, we do. But it's interesting that when I talk to teenagers, they say that they feel that they receive a lot of information about sex and sexuality, but they receive very little information about relationships and emotion when it comes to romantic relationships. So I think both have a huge huge role to play in this. Um, We tend to worry more about sex, I I suppose, than we do about feelings. But the truth of it is heartbreak too is is a huge thing for an adolescent to try and overcome alone. It's enormous. It is like a death experience. I'm sorry, it's a major loss experience. So if you can put it into the same context of, you know, that loss really hurts, but when it's something we were really fond of and if we treat it like grief, I think we're going to treat it in a mature, responsible way being able to hear what they want to say, validate their feelings, say it's going to take a while before it feels okay. Yeah. But, of course, in the teen world, there is so much if they're in the same school environment that they get triggered if they see that person with someone else. This is why it can become really worrying. Yeah, it can. And particularly if that relationship is broken up because it was toxic. And then they're going to have all of their friends in little camps making decisions and judging about, you know, who was really responsible for that relationship breaking down. So it's very complicated. And in fact, when I was 16, I broke up with um, the boyfriend that I'd had for 18 months. And that was my biggest life heartbreak. I've been divorced and I wasn't as shattered when I was divorced as I was back then, only because Maggie, I had no sense then that I would move on. When you've had your first heartbreak and you have moved on, you then learn, all right, no matter how bad things get, there will be something in me that will help me keep going and I will love again. 
But when you are 16, you do not believe that that's the case. You've got no learned experience of being able to bounce back. And I think one of the things I found the hardest was that I didn't get a lot of long-term empathy and support from the adults in my life. Short-term, everyone said, oh, you poor thing. But it took me a good year to get over that breakup. And everyone thinks you should just move on by now. Which is also healthy grieving. Right. And I, no one told me how to move on either. And that's one of the other things I love to do with teenagers is explicitly teach them, here are some strategies that can help you shift when you're not feeling great. And it can be things like positive self-talk. It can be things like using movement and going for a walk. It can be things like connecting with people and having your friends over and surrounding yourself with love. And those strategies are just so critical. So, Danny, what are the words and the actions you can take as a parent if you are actually especially relieved that a uh, relationship that your child's had is over and they are devastated but you're secretly happy. Yeah, and that can happen, particularly if the relationship's been unhealthy and your um, young person doesn't yet know that and hasn't come to that realisation because that can take time to realise. It's also somewhat embarrassing sometimes to admit that someone we loved really didn't treat us well. So we can be in denial about that. Um, So I think you still need to just focus on your child and their feelings and don't do the I told you so stuff, even though you may have told them many times. Bite your tongue on that. Parenting is nothing if not moments of biting your tongue. Um, And just be very gentle, very kind. I sort of feel that when our child has a broken heart, it's a little like if they had a broken arm or a broken leg, they might need extra snuggles on the lounge. They might need, you know, special foods cooked. They might need offers for outings and just a little bit of TLC can go a long way. And validate it's all normal even though it hurts. Yeah, absolutely. And you can perhaps save some of that conversation around what are boundaries, what are the signs for a little later down the track. Breaking up with my ex is definitely the hardest thing I've ever had to do and it was something I didn't necessarily want to do but it was what was right for the time and it was really hard to know that I was upsetting them as well as it hurt me. When my parents found out that we broke up they were hysterical. They were so happy. They did not like my ex at all. They were saying that I was worth more and I could do so much better than that and I didn't realise that at the time but now I do. My parents understood my situation and stood by my choice throughout the whole breakup even though they believed I shouldn't have broken up with him. It was nice to have them to talk to whenever I needed because normally my ex was the one that I spoke to. My relationship with my ex was like having my best friend around me but also feeling the pain and the hurt in the relationship. Like, it wasn't always good. There was definitely bad in it. I wonder, can we also touch on the notion of a spark? And I believe every single one of us or a team that has found a spark, whether it's, you know, it is dance or it's something wonderful, they navigate this bumpy journey better. So how do we help teens find a spark? Yeah, I think adolescents actually have a wonderful sense of justice and they have a wonderful sense of wanting to contribute. So if we can harness that and get them involved in something practical in their local communities, it's also a great way of them feeling powerful in a world that can often make them feel quite powerless. So with Women's Community Shelters, I've been running an education program called Walk the Talk and we've been talking to adolescents in their local communities, in their local schools, um, about issues related to gender violence and then encouraging them to adopt their local refugees 
refuge and to contribute and support the work of it. And that has been amazing to see how well they respond to that and how their little faces light up. Because for a lot of adolescents, domestic violence isn't something esoteric. It's something in their own homes. So doing something positive, putting your hands to work can be such a positive experience and very bonding for the teens, not only with each other, but also with their community. And it builds those connections. I think it's also making sure that I'm available. You know, people often think adolescents don't need us as much. I'm available to support your spark. I had a serious competitive swimmer. I did have to get out of bed at half past four, five o'clock in the morning for him most mornings of the week. And there were times that the boys wanted to surf and that meant I gave up my mornings to go searching surf. Now, did I want to do that? No, but did I want to see the spark, the joy on their faces when they've done something they love? Mm. So I really want to encourage you as parents out there, whatever their love is, if they haven't got one, then, you know, we've got to sort of find something and, and definitely something that where they give, they get back something inside themselves. And if they have particular concerns. So if your child is really concerned about climate change, you know, then find a way that they can tap in and contribute to making a difference. Don't minimalise it it or don't rationalise it away. Celebrate that they've got a conviction because that's the beginning of us becoming responsible humans is that we feel something about something and we're prepared to stand up and we don't, they don't always argue well, but please celebrate those things rather than crush them. We're both believers that adolescents need significant adults who aren't necessarily their parents in that pushback stage. And I bet there's there's parents listening today who don't even know if their teens have got one. How do we find a lighthouse Mm. for our teens? Because we do know that they can be really positively influenced. And I know you do that so much in your own work. Yeah, I talk to teens about that. I actually talk to them about finding their Dumbledore, but it's the same principle. You know, someone a little older and a little wiser who you can go to for good advice. Um, And there are lots of ways in which you can find that. I think step number one is to recognise it's a good thing to have, um, to have a mentor or to have a role model. And I often think too, we dismiss the fact that young people can find that lighthouse not just in the real world, but through literature. So I know for me as a young woman, Maggie, my lighthouses actually came through reading the work of women like Naomi Wolf um, and hearing her voice say things like, you know, we don't need to change our bodies, we need to change the rules. And me sort of feeling like I had found my tribe (laughs) because this was in the days, you know, pre-social media. So I couldn't go online and find other like-minded people in in my little community. So um, I think being open to exploring that sense of connection to adults in the real world is incredible. But if you can't find that and you can't access that, also looking for and seeking voices of wise, trusted guides, even if that be through books and literature. Let's talk about teens and sexuality. How can parents help a child who's grappling with discovering that their sexual attractions aren't the same as those in their peer groups? Look, I think what we really need to do is create environments in our homes where our teens feel that they can tell us anything and everything about themselves. So the truth of it is that if your child has heard a lot of homophobic comments within the home or they've heard you be dismissive um, of the loves and lives of others, they're probably not going to open up to you and I don't blame them. So let's be really mindful that when we say things like that, we really don't know who's listening. We don't 
don't know whose little ears are picking up on those messages. And there's subtle things we can do too to be inclusive. So when we talk about um, relationships, we don't. And we've, if we have a daughter, we don't necessarily want to only say, you know, one day when you find a husband or one day when you have a boyfriend, you could just be more inclusive and say something like, one day when you have a love or one day when you have a great partner in your life. And they are subtle differences, but they can be really important and really significant. Often as parents, we have kind of dreams of where we want our children to be and who we want them to be. So, you know, if you're a parent who this is something that really is out left field for you, do you have any suggestions for them to come to terms with this in a way that is going to be constructive and positive for their son or daughter? Yeah, I think get informed. Do some of the reading. Connect with others. Yeah, so I think going online and looking at support groups and things like that can be a wonderful starting point. Where I worked full-time counselling, it was a number of times a parent would come in um, and they feel they've completely lost their teen. They're getting out the window, they're behaving appallingly, they're getting suspended. Have you got any suggestions for that parent? So I think when kids are hurting, they tend to either explode or implode. And we might notice our child who is being suspended and jumping out of windows and feel compelled to act. But equally, I'd suggest we need to be mindful of young people who may be hurting themselves and doing really destructive things to themselves. And I think one of the keys there is to reach out and get professional support. When you know that you're in over your head, that's okay to admit. We're not meant to have all of the answers. None of us do. Reach out in the first instance to the school is usually a really good place to start. The school might be able to help fill in some of those gaps for you um, and tell you about some of the things that they're noticing. And they should be able to put you in contact with some great specialists in your area that they know do a good work working with adolescents so that you can build that network of support, not just for your child, but for yourself. And I think during that time to be really kind to yourself. What's your message of advocacy for teens? What do you want us all to understand about them? When I first started Enlightened Education sort of 13 odd years ago, I suspected that what I really wanted to do, and I'm going to get teary here, Maggie, (laughs) but I know that you'll know that's okay because you're like me, we wear our hearts on our sleeve. I knew in my heart what I really wanted to do was love them and give them a stronger experience of love because I think our culture often is not very kind to teens and they live in a world where we define them as either trouble or troubled. And when I wrote my first book, I interviewed hundreds of teenage girls and asked them, what is it that you want more of? And despite our suspicions that it might be, you know, handbags and shoes and more likes on Instagram, it was none of that. It was about connection and love and affection. And so I said to teenagers, you know, but surely you know that you are loved. And I remember one young girl said to me, but sometimes I'm not very easy to love. And I said, all right, let's just put all of that to the side and tell me what does it look and feel like when it does work for you? Their answers were so touching and so simple. Uh, I remember one girl said to me, I love it when I get the bus home from school and it's raining because I know my mum will greet me at the front door and she'll have my pyjamas for me to get changed into and she might make me pancakes and we'll watch TV together first and she doesn't even ask me to do my homework until later and so I just get on the bus and pray for rain. Another girl said to me, I love it when my parents take me shopping. I thought, oh, yes, you do, don't you? Um, And she said, but it's not because I want stuff. It's because at some point they will sit me down and they'll have a coffee and I'll have a milkshake. And it's always really easy to talk to them then. 
I don't really want the stuff, but I want the talk. So I guess my message is to realise that this can be a really difficult time. It can also be a wonderful time of connection and love. And we've got this. You know, we know how to love our kids. Everything else is periphery. There will be complications. There will be things that you'll need to navigate and seek support on. There will be times when you'll need to go on Maggie Dent's Facebook page and ask her community, <laughs> how do you deal with the fact that your teenager isn't doing their homework? Or or you might need to go online and, and find out how to support your young person who's just come out to you. But at the end of the day, love is love. And we've got that. And we know how to do that. And we should never dismiss the power of that connection. You're absolutely right. And I think it's really, uh, we can choose kindness and compassion every day, even though our kids may not deserve it on this bumpy ride. Danny, thank you again. Oh, my pleasure, Maggie, always. (laughs) Heck, I know it's tough. I know they push you away and they roll their eyes and they sometimes slam doors, but teens really do value having parents who care. So here's your checklist for making it through the teen years with your relationship intact. Try not to put too much pressure on them. There are many pathways to success and they have many years to figure out which way to get there. Know that they will struggle with big, ugly feelings and your job is to let them know you are their safe base. And then make sure your home is a safe base. Sometimes shut the door on the messy bedroom just because... One more conflict isn't what they need today. And always welcome their friends into your home. I really recommend modelling kindness and fairness. Trust me, teens can be easily influenced in positive ways, despite what the world suggests. And as parents and lighthouses, we can build a bridge over that chasm so they feel safer. Before you go, I want you to have a listen to a piece of audio. It's from a great story that Leah Purcell told live, and it's on the Tall Tales and True podcast. Leah is an actor and director and Goa Gungari Waka Waka Mori woman. In this true story, she talks about her teen years and how her purpose has always been to look after her mum, but she's also had big dreams of leaving the bush and becoming an actor. He interrupted my nightmare by saying, I saw you in the high school musical. The musical he was talking about was Any Get Your Gun. You were great, he said, very enthusiastically. So I don't want you coming here looking for a job. Great, I thought. I then researched what a theatre nurse is. And there was nothing about singing, acting or dancing. So that was secretly crossed off my list too. But being told by a stranger that I was good at performing sparked the flame. It's such a great story. And you can hear it in the Tall Tales and True Storytelling podcast. It's free to listen to on the ABC Listen app or on podcast apps like Google and Apple. Or play it through your smart speaker while you're doing the washing up. Or (laughs) while you're sipping a cup of tea while you're getting your teenager to do the washing up. (laughs) Next time... On Parental As Anything, we're going to be dealing with death. Boyd tried to put toys in the coffin and Josie read him a book and we sang Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And he's there and we're there and he's dead and we're not and far out. It was a moment that 
is irreplaceable. Whether it's the death of a family pet, finding out someone we love is dying, or explaining an unexpected and sudden death to our kids, it's a huge challenge. That's next on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent.